Welcome back, my friends. The Swiss Power, IT leaders, the inside with oil leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton, Paul Lewis. How's it going? Hey there. So, I don't know what the rest of you did over the weekend, but I went and saw the Super Bowl at a friend's house, and um, and I don't do sports, really. Um, <laughs> like, not, 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 okay, so the house we were going to watch is a big Kansas City Chiefs house. So like they got, uh, I don't know, they got, they got, I, I don't know, I don't know what the chiefs really are. So they got all kinds of like red and yellow crap in their house and all kinds of like go chief stuff. Right. Um, and, and it was very cute, but I don't remember it because it doesn't stick with me. I, I don't, I don't do football, but like their, their, their mat at their door says welcome to, and then it's the name of the quarterback. I see. You know mm. what I mean? Like, like, yeah. Um, and so I knew this going in. I knew they were Kansas City fans. So I wore a green T-shirt. I don't have despite. I, I, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Just to mess with them, right? I don't have any stuff from the other teams. And this is where where it actually got funny and showed my ignorance of of the sports ball. Um, so we show up, and she's like, "Oh, oh, I see. So uh, wearing green, are you?" And I went, "Well, yeah. I got to recommend. I, I gotta. I gotta represent my Jets." And she just goes, "What are you talking about?" And I went, "The." The other team and she goes it's the eagles <laughs> the jets have never are never coming to the super bowl they suck i went oh okay whatever are, the eagles are green though too so i it's green i don't care <laughs> i just wasn't gonna give you the satisfaction of wearing something red and that was as far as i got with football and then everybody at the whole party kind of knew from that point don't ask howard anything about football <laughs> not he's very much not gonna know he thinks the he thinks the jets are playing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But That's you enjoyed funny. the food and the, the beverages. I enjoyed the, the food. Uh, I enjoyed the beverages. I enjoyed the company. Uh, I, I mean, even the game was good. I just don't. I just didn't care about it. You know what I mean? Um, Did you enjoy was, the halftime show? No, actually, last year's halftime show was still my favorite halftime show so far, of any yeah. Super Bowl I can remember. Last year's was really, really good. Yep. I don't know you if you remember last. Year, and yeah. last year was better. What was last? Yeah. Last year's was kind of the history of Southern California rap, right? They, uh, they, right. they oh, went yeah. through had a whole bunch of artists. 30 years of rap. It was, yeah, it was, and it was seamless. They just did such a good job of bringing everybody, having everybody play, do their part, um, and and really, you know, show 30 years of, of, of kind of an important, you know, a really important music genre and its impact and everything. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Reminded me a lot of the music that I listened to when I was younger. On the Grammys a couple weekends ago, I think they did the 50-year history of hip-hop. Same kind of deal, a little more hardcore compared to what the Super Bowl would suggest. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've only been one time, and I went more than 20 years ago now. Um, I think it was 99. Uh, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, is in Cleveland, Ohio, for those who aren't familiar. Um, and it's a pretty interesting location that owns nothing all of the stuff they have on display is on loan and they don't let you take pictures of anything mm-hmm. um, which is something i don't really appreciate in a museum you know um but but regardless um it was really interesting the the month before i went they had um the history of the beatles was their special exhibit and when i went it was the history of hip-hop mm. which i was conflicted about because one um I knew less about it then than I do now, for sure. Um, so it was it was really cool to learn, right? I love any opportunity to learn anything new. At the same time, it's called it's not it's not the the museum of music, 
It's not the Museum of Modern Music. It's the Museum of Rock and Roll. Right. <laughs> rock and Roll Museum, right? Um, and, and hip-hop is not rock, part of rock and roll. It's not a subgenre. Nor is it rock and roll adjacent. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's like this is a this feels a little bit too out of place for me. I'm not sure not sure this makes logical sense. Like I'm not sure I'm totally bought into the idea that, you know, that that uh that hip hop belongs in the rock in the in the rock and roll museum. But but again, like it was a really it was probably the most thorough exhibit I've ever seen on hip hop anywhere. It was a floor and a half of wow. uh of, of information. Um and did did make me uh want to go visit a really good uh, hip hop museum. Um, is there such so, a thing? Is there a uh, a national gallery of such a thing? I do not know, but Netflix has a really good documentary series on the history of hip hop. Interesting. Really good. Uh, multiple seasons, even like it it uh, it starts in New York in the seventies, um, and moves all the way to the East Coast West Coast thing, which is which is you know much more aligned with when we were kids, and then into um, the the kind of Southern uprising of of rap and into into more modern stuff. Speak for yourself. It's not my generation. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Um, um, based on hair color, it goes Howard is the youngest. <laughs> and then Mr. Lewis. What? This couldn't be any more blonde. What are you talking about? Sure, uh, sure. It's, it's blonde like a cloudy day. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. You just you just brought an interesting point. The Super Bowl has some preparation. Last year we both agree that they have better preparation, better things, how they prepare those exhibits on on display so they can see it. What about how I know how I do it, but I would like to know how do you guys get ready when you have to deliver like a talk on a webinar or something? Do you guys go scripted? Do you guys go free flow? Do you follow any methods? As Howard knows, I will only ever present in public in a highly scripted fashion. Every word written down and every word I will repeat. In fact, I read the vast majority of the slides and content to which I deliver. And as Paul knows, I do none of that. <laughs> it, is, it is highly unlikely that I will even stay, to, stay on the slides. It is highly unlikely I will stay on the slides. Um, I find what I do instead is... I come with an idea of what I'm going to say, kind of a point and a purpose. Um, and then as I'm talking, I'm watching whatever people in the audience I can see. And when I see signs of engagement, I go deeper there. Sometimes that's with the slides. Sometimes that's not with the slides. Um, my favorite thing to have happen is AV goes down and I get no slides. That's my absolute favorite. Because everybody kind of expects slides, but if AV's down, I, there's nothing I can do about it. We don't have any slides. So we're just going to talk. Can we just have a discussion? Um, and without a doubt, the best presentations I've ever given were done that way, where I encourage people to ask questions. I encourage them, like, go ahead and interrupt. Just raise your hand. Just ask a question. Just, you know, whatever works for you. And let's, and let's uh, you know, let's dig into what, what you find fascinating. Because what I find fascinating is what I wrote three days ago. You know what I mean? Like, I've already... 
I, I decided to get up and give this talk. So I've already figured out the fascinating part for me. You're, the audience is what's going to give me something new. So it's very I, different. Paul and I are very different in that way. I, I think there's four distinct categories. And I think the preparation is different for each. So as Howard described, that's his preparation for and his delivery for in-person audience-based conversations. Yes, that's part of category number one. Category number two would be like a prepared webinar that has one or more guests or you're just delivering it on your own, but it tends to be virtual, right? Uh, opportunity number three would be more podcast-like, right? We're having a conversation on purpose, right? Um, and then category four is more of a presentation style, but an, an intended audience, right? So not a mass audience in person, but a mass audience, sorry, a specific audience virtually. Maybe it's uh, corporate to corporate or a business seminar or, you know, a strategic conversation. And I think those four categories we probably prepared differently for, even if the delivery is relatively the same. So, so there is a distinct difference. So let's take the first category. There is a distinct difference between Howard and myself on how we would do an in-person delivery of a presentation. Yes. Uh, I am much more likely to build a story over an hour and go through slides depicting what that story looks like. Howard builds stories and he grabs stories as he needs to, to make a point, right. Or several points through the hour, you know, I think they both are as effective and we've gone back to back before. And I think we've entertained the audience differently, but still at the same magnitude. Right. I actually think when you and I go back to back, it's absolutely the best thing you can get. Cause we tag, like if, if, if the audience is a hundred people and of those hundred people, 60 of them prefer your way, the other 40 don't. Right. And then when I get up, those 40 are fed and the other 60 have already been fed. You know what I mean? So by the time the room empties, the whole room has been fed in a way that works for them. They may not be peak happiness necessarily, but they leave fully sated, which is a very hard thing to do in a, in a room. Um, right. And yet we also say much the same thing. Like if we're presenting on the same topic, it's we're, we're not going to have like you're not going to leave with with wildly differing perspectives. Right. You're, you're likely to leave with two perspectives that provide a complete picture. Do you believe that your style or content changes based on the size or type of the audience? So no. 50 people to 500 people no. or um, a, a formal presentation on a main stage versus, you know, a seminar for a group of 30 people at a, at a banquet hall. No, no. Same style, same presentation. No, the only way that it changes is, is if I have a partner. If it's not just me, um, and then I'll acquiesce to what the partner finds more comfortable because too many people are very, very uncomfortable with the way I do the way I do my talks. They just don't right. like it. Um, they just don't like it. <laughs> well, they refuse to be on stage. <laughs> no, they, 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 they like more structure and less freeform. Um, and I'm just, I, I like to be able to be lazy when I can. So, like, yeah. The, the only times it make, makes a difference for me is when it's highly produced. Like I only have, you know, 36 minutes and the next presenter has to come and there's commercials. Like it, when it's a big audience and it's highly produced, you have to conform 
to something I normally wouldn't prefer to be conformed with. And it just requires me to pay much more attention to both the speed of my presentation and where I am in its relative ending, right? So I have to know whether I'm close to finish or not in order to get to the, you know, the end point. Yeah. So I, things. You are, you are so minute perfect. It's beyond impressive to me. Mm. Um, that, that being said, I don't find that to be that much of a problem anymore, but it's mostly because um, I tell a lot of stories and so I can always, I can fill in or drop a story as necessary to hit the time box within, you know, 30 seconds, which is generally what everybody's looking for. Um, right. You are, you are impressively precise. <laughs> Thank you. Now, in fairness, a lot of that is simply practice. So I can deliver the same story hundreds of times and therefore you get an appreciation for the timing. Now, what's interesting about this side of the spectrum is that there is no expectation in many ways that um, you have to conform to a highly produced routine or that um, everything you say when we're on stage is assumed to be our, our opinion. But on the other side of the spectrum, the other category is something like a podcast that we're on here where our general preference is to be the least prepared possible, but the, but the preference of the producers is to be the most prepared possible. Right? They want to sure. give us topics. They want to give us questions. They want to have the, the splices of time that make sense. They want us to have the, the, you know, the, the, three set, the three sentences to answer the question. They want to provide questions to the audience where that's less comfortable for us. Um, I, I don't know that it's less comfortable. It's just less fun. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, like I, I was on a podcast. And I really liked the podcast. I liked the presenters, um, and and I was their guest. Right, it was their podcast, and I was their guest. And everything was highly not scripted, but scheduled down to right. the plus or minus five seconds. Um, and I don't find that to be as fun. Right, just what I like about what we do is it allows us to it allows us to stay with a thread for as much as the thread is interesting to us. We don't have a live audience, so I can't I can't adjust based on the live audience. I can adjust based on the two of you. Um, versus when it's highly scripted, it's like, okay, cool. You just touched on something amazing. I'd really love to talk about it. I think it's super interesting. Oh no, we have to move on to the next segment. Okay, but but now I have to reset my engagement. I have to reset my interest. Um, and 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 I, I have to say, for those people who listen to that podcast and podcasts like that, they know what's coming. They know how long each section is going to be. And if a section doesn't appeal to them, they can also hit the forward 15 seconds, forward 15 seconds. Okay, cool. I'm on the next segment. And we don't give people that ability. Um, at the same time, you know, um, maybe that's why we, you know, don't have a massive audience. But <laughs> we, we, just, awesome we do this. Podcast. We do this for us. Yeah. Right. You know, I think that it's interesting that we bring something different. And that engagement, like you said, that happened is that when you're on a conference, we're technically delivering a 30 to 45 minutes. Sometimes this podcast has been 50. I think that we, we did one that we went over an hour. Oh, God. I'm uh, so sorry. I want to apologize to the audience right now. <laughs> wow. Uh, Let's have a long commute. Then it's fine. Yeah, but I think that the 
the benefit, like you said, if it's too scripted, you know what is coming. So probably you can also tune out. Like you said, if I don't know, if I know the section that I'm want, I'll pay attention to that instead of paying attention to the whole process. And like one thing that I looked at is they're starting to not give a lot of the timings for some of the virtual events or webinars. So you actually have to be there the whole time. And when I asked one of the people that actually set up a lot of webinars, they said, we want the people to be engaged through the whole process. If we give them the timeline or something that is repeatable, they will tune out like you mentioned, Howard. It's funny, I consume differently than I present. So as an example, we might go through this process for 40 minutes and have have an intention to talk about topic X, but we actually talk about X, Y, and Z through this period. Um, and we're, we're satisfied with its content because we felt we've provided value. But when I consume, let's say a YouTube video, I tend to like the ones that have already have sectioned off commentary so that I could zoom to the 15 minute mark because that's the one thing that they're trying to tell me. And that's the one I'm trying to learn. So it might be valuable to kind of do the same thing with us, right? To take, to sort of po do post-production sections so that people could find the type of information that's valuable to them. But, so, but it is interesting with our pod that we're, we never prepare. And by that, I mean, our topic isn't decided until we start, which we've talked about before. But we're pretty comfortable with most topics and in with some level of content even if we're making it up on the spot we're still have an opinion on the topic at hand where we have done poorly in our pods and we readily admit that some of our pods haven't been the best in fact so much so we might not have actually pushed some of that content yeah, yeah that we've done a few yeah that it wasn't necessarily because we didn't have an that we're prepared for the topic because we rarely are it's that either opinions weren't as well read as we thought they should be, or we felt that we weren't putting enough energy into the content, or we simply thought that it was not interesting enough to be consumed. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. The, that's the big one, right? When we've we we thought the topic was interesting, we thought we had something to say, we said everything we had to say, and then at the end of it, we're like, I don't ever want to watch that again. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like it just wasn't the topic wasn't as engaging to us as we thought it was. And therefore we didn't feel that we put enough of ourselves in it for it to be engaging to others. And so we dropped it. Um, yeah. So, so uh, um, uh, uh, let's continue with your list. Cause we did live okay. event, like so webinar. We live oh. event podcast. The third category is like a webinar. And I, you know, I kind of think corporate webinar at this point. So there are a couple flavors that I have done in the past. I'm sure we all have. So flavor number one, you're the sole presenter, right? It's you delivering 15 minute, 30 minute corporate content, generally you in slides, right? Tends to be highly scripted, tends to be highly uh, visual, right? Cause we're trying to deliver a message. Yep. That's kind of flavor one. Flavor two, it's much, it feels podcast like, but it's, a panel of people with slides and we're going through some content. Um, and then finally some sort of educational webinar where um, maybe it's just 
two people, an interviewee and you, and you're sort of answering questions in a webinar-like format. So which one do you prefer and do you prepare differently for each of those flavors? So I prefer three, number yeah. three, where it's an interview back and forth. Um, I prefer that one a lot, like 10 times more than the others. The one I like the least is panels. And the, and the reason I dislike panels is, is for the same reason I just, I said about podcasts is there's not, there's never enough time to double click on anything. Mm. Right. Um, and so you end up in this situation where it's okay, cool. Uh, here's the question. 30 seconds for Paul, 30 seconds for Howard. And, right. and it like, like make it interesting. Let's make this an hour, do four questions and do it like they do a political debate. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Paul, so you said your thing. All right, Howard, 30 seconds to reply to Paul. All right, Paul, 20-second rebuttal to Howard. All right, moving on to the next question. Something like that would actually be more interesting. The number of times someone has said something on stage that I'm like, ooh, that's really interesting. What about this as an aspect of that, as a response to that, as a as kind of a different way to think about that? Um, but you don't really get the opportunity to do that much in panels. And so I find panels to be the least exciting. Um, I, I don't prepare for them generally um not Other in, than the topic is already predefined but not the yeah, speaking yeah, points. yeah um the topic's pretty fine and i may read up on the topic like i may go it's been a little while since i visited that or i want to see what's changed in the space or i kind of want to make sure that i'm up on what people are talking about and and so i may read that um but but that's as far uh, that's actually bit me in the ass almost every time that i've done it <laughs> because um like i did um uh, I did a thing at a call at a university for international business students on Southeast Asia and Southeast Asia markets. Mm -hmm. um, and I read, I don't know, thousand pages or so to make sure I was up to kind of snuff on it. But they didn't ask any questions that were relevant to the to that at all. In, in <laughs> any way, like the questions were super high level. They were super generic, um, and and I really felt robbed because um, I learned all kinds of interesting things about how business operates, how people buy, how people shop, um, what businesses are present and why they're present. And like things like the difficulty of getting cash and the difficulty of, of executing transactions and, and why payment apps kind of have, have exploded. And yet they're not payment apps we have in the West. They're, they're payment apps specific to kind of the region. Um, and there's a lot of conflict and there's multiple apps and getting into each market is, is difficult and, and, you know, they're figuring out their sovereignty, which means the sovereignty and compliance, like all that stuff that I found to be super fascinating and super relevant to the topic. Yeah. None of that even ever remotely got brought up. And every time I'd try to bring something up that I thought would be interesting and useful, they just moved on. And I was like, Oh, well, that was kind of a waste. I, I, I didn't feel bad that I learned the thing. I just kind of felt like you could have replaced me with absolutely anyone in the world that had ever seen a map. And, and likely accomplish much the same because, you know, it was just not a, right. it was just not a super engaging or interesting talk. How about the corporate pitch? Like you're doing a 15, <laughs> 20 minute deck. It's hard for me to know if that actually resonates with anyone. They're often pre-recorded. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, the hard part for me there is, is actually hitting time. I tend to run real short on those. Mm -hmm. Um, mostly because, like I, like I said, I use the audience as a feedback loop to tell me to go deeper or move on. And I, since I don't have that, I just default to moving on because I've probably gone over it two or three times and it's probably not super exciting to me anymore. You know what I mean? And since I don't have anybody to play off, it's hard for me to then ramp up my passion and ramp up my excitement and really be 
great at those. Yeah, it's fair. And and they those that flavor actually comes in three subflavors, right? So the the three subflavors are they give you the deck and you can say whatever you want, which is more comfortable, right? Or uh, they give you the deck um, with some some theories and then you just have to hit those talking points. Um, and then they give you the deck with it entirely scripted, right? Uh, I find the entirely scripted one difficult and the most difficult to record because for the most part, nobody's writing in my voice. So how yeah. I would say something, my turn of phrase isn't what's written. And therefore I have to do some live editing because I wouldn't say the sentence in the way that it's been written. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. And the second one, while easier, because at least I have some talking points while I'm talking, I'm thinking of the talking points and I think it's taking away from its projection. I'm taking it, taking away from its enthusiasm and just the relative, you know, surprise in what I'm saying, which creates, you know, a different style when you're presenting. Yeah. 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 Like those went first, first to third, those went from most genuine to least genuine. Right. Um, And I, I, I struggle anytime I don't feel like I'm able to be genuine. I struggle. And part of genuine is the words that I say, the, the, the way that I address a topic, like all of that is part of being genuine. So it's not, it's not, I'm not being disingenuous by reading someone else's script, but it's not mine. And I'm not, it's not Shakespeare, right? I'm, I'm not playing <laughs> Marcus Anthony, um, in which case I'm representing Marcus Anthony. No, I'm, I'm, I'm representing me in a webinar. I don't get to, I don't get to play a, uh, you know, a character. And it makes it very, so, so it does make it harder to do, to do, you know, the more scripted, the harder it gets. So with that, hearing both of you, I started thinking, which style will it attract an executive at you level? Because you're delivering content, like you said, to educate, to share a point, to some. But if you're going to take from your busy day to go live to the webinar or even watch the recording of the webinar, which one do you feel that is better to deliver the message to an executive level? Well, the more genuine it is, the more it's going to resonate with anyone. It doesn't really matter who. And since executives are least the least technical people in the audience, generally, um, the less scripted, the more genuine, the more it's going to resonate with an executive, right? They're the least, they're the person in the room, the least interested about the stuff that marketing puts in slides. Yeah. And in that circumstance, mage stage is your best friend. Right, because very rarely were the executives going to the sub stages, the sub sessions. So if you're not on the main stage, you're simply not going to be seen as important or as interesting. Um, and pre-recording is difficult, and it's stale, and it's not an effective way to communicate. But you're not going to know that until you actually start consuming the content. Agreed. Panelists, panels, I agree, are the worst form of presentation, with the exception of. So, so for two reasons. Reason number one, uh, they tend to be boiled down to pre-written, pre-thought answers to a series of pre-written questions and therefore not interesting. Or there's too much, too much of a mixed match of the panelists themselves. I was on a recent panel where there were 
three product companies and a services organization being us. They had their 10 minute bits on product overview, features and functions. I gave my 10 minute bit on thought leadership without describing the services in any grand scheme of things. And there was nothing cohesive about the 60 minutes in any way. It was right. not a consumable product at the end of the day. Now, if you change that to be the panelists are of equal talent, of equal background, even if they're different, right? At least they're coming from a relatively same perspective. And you make it a moderated conversation versus here's your scripted question and answer, then it's much more conversational, which is why I like to moderate something like that with straw pictures, right? Here's a interesting take on a topic. I've diagrammed it this way. What do you think in real time to this? Most panelists are not comfortable doing that. So you're going to have to find yeah. panelists that actually is comfortable doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I Difficult, think but possible. I, I think to your point, right? Um, what often can solve it is either all the same background or all different backgrounds. Right. But if it's three and one, it's never going to work. Right. right. But if it's all different. So I did one where, where we were all different, right? One guy, one guy represented a financial tool. I represented an advisory service. Someone else represented a cloud migration tool and someone else represented 5G, private, private 5G. Um, right. That actually was really good because we had no overlap with each other but we all had interest in what each other did. Um, and so it was a really good kind of back and forth. Um, and the moderator was really good at letting us kind of um, do a little, do a little chatter. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Do you guys do this? Oh yeah, we do that. And, and, oh, cool. How do you do, how do you handle this? Oh, we do it this way or, oh, cool. I've seen it done this way in the past. You know what I mean? Like, like you get a little bit of back and forth and they were really good about kind of managing it. So it didn't, so it didn't run over time. Right. Um, but it made for a really engaging conversation because we were all able to be, you know, pitched by everybody else. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, you, you know what I mean? And so do, I think it. Do you prefer I, moderation or being a panelist? A moderator or being a panelist? Oh, I'd rather be a ma I'd rather be the a panelist than be the the moderator. But but it's interesting. Fine, I'll do either one. I don't. I'm a big fan. A uh, the only way I like to be a moderator is if I can be a fan. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I can be a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm the best moderator you'll find. Cause I'm, I'm going to like, I'm, I'm just going to be able to geek out a little bit, but if I'm not, then make me a panelist. Right. You know, like if it's highly you're, scripted, you're a Kevin Smith kind of moderator. I am a hundred percent a Kevin Smith <laughs> style moderator. <laughs> that is a perfect reference for me. Right. 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 I agree. I, I like to player coach moderation. Like, and I like to throw strawmen up there. I like to make linkages between panelists that they hadn't thought of before. So isn't this interesting that if you're looking at each other's puzzle pieces, this is how I'd put you together. Does that make sense? Or am I, or am I out of the park? And, 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 and how do you, how are you going to correct my statement? But again, it requires a different level of comfort with the panelists. And a lot of panelists, especially panelists that I've seen, are overprepared for their content. Yes. And and they're overprepared in a very narrow way. Right. Right. Um, and that and that's okay. Like like it, this this kind of goes back to our conversation about management versus leadership and how we 
We spend all of our time on management and none of our time on leadership from an education training and, and reinforcement standpoint. Right. This is kind of the same thing, right? We, when it comes to presenting, we spend all of our time on the content and very little, if any, of our time on the presentation, right? right? And yet the reason people are there is for the presentation. The reason people come to work is for the leadership. They don't come for the management. Mm. Right. Um, and if we if we taught people how to present, if we taught people how to speak, if we taught people how to develop that voice and that presence and that persona, it does it doesn't matter what they talked about. You could read stereo instructions, and and the audience would be interested and engaged. Um, and then add in a good presentation, and you've really got a you know you've got a winning combination. Um, but it's really that it's really that that kind of combination that's that's lacking. Um, and I think that's where you and I have spent a lot of our of our careers um, is, you know, being a politician instead of a scientist. For, <laughs> well, how about that fourth category then? So that fourth category being a much more of an interview. You and somebody else, they are trying to learn something or getting their audience to learn something. They are less knowledgeable in the topic. You are most knowledgeable in the topic. And it's a Q and A type environment. It's my favorite. What preparation do you prefer? What preparation do you prefer that they have? And what's what's the conversation style that's the most effective? Well, I mean, I, I think I said before I'm lazy, so I prefer no preparation. That's not always reasonable or, pos or possible, right? Um, so, so for that, what I prefer is don't tell me your questions, don't show me your slides. Let's just go. It doesn't really work. And so when I look at the slides, what I'm looking at the slides for is in what order is the story best told? And that's the totality of what I'm looking at the slides for. And then I'm likely to do some reading and some research broadly on the topic. And, and really, I kind of prefer to make it broad. Um, I don't want to come in hyper-focused. I want to come in broad and then allow their questions to direct, where do I go? Where do I take it? Where do we go? What's interesting? Um, what insight like explodes in my brain when they respond to an answer I just gave? That's the most interesting for me. Ooh, you just said this thing that made me think of this. Is this reasonable in this in this instance? Ooh, I think it is. Let's talk about that for a minute, right? You just made me think of something something new. I want to exit every one of those interviews having learned as much as the interviewer or more. Hmm. Interesting. I I do it differently. At least I request something different. So. I absolutely don't want the questions, just like you. That, that's not helpful for me. What is helpful is to get the set of topics that they would find interesting or appealing to their audience, because I don't necessarily always know the audience, or at least what the audience makeup is. Sure. From that list, and let's say it's five, six, seven, you know, under a dozen, I'm prepared in my pocket with sound bites. Those sound bites generally are not factual, right? It's not... 80% of people know this, that, and the other. That, that's not interesting nor helpful, probably, and I don't want to memorize those facts. <laughs> but what I do have in my pocket is a soundbite perspective, right? Some Paul-ism that I would tend to repeat, and I have repeated over time on this particular topic, so that when they ask a question, the Paulism is probably still relevant to the question or any question they ask, which will lead me to double click on that Paulism. But they'll get a sound bite, something that they could cut if they needed to. Um, and I can elaborate if I needed to on that particular topic. I don't have a scripted answer in any way because I don't know the question. 
but I do have the point of view that I want to be able to give them with the topic. Is that is that too yeah, no, is I, that too no, overprepared no, for you? No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think like I generally walk in with a perspective in mind. Right. Right. Um, but not, but to your point, right. Not a ton more than a perspective. Yeah. Like I did a pod recently last week that was 20, 2022 trends and the sort of uh, determining the, you know, prognosis going forward. And they gave me six, seven, eight topics. And I just had what I thought was true. Sure. Whether or not it was backed up by facts or not, this is what I believe to true to be the future on this topic, and that's what I had. And if they, I knew their question was likely going to be, "What does 2023 hold for?" Insert topic X, and I had a point of view, and then they could ask me follow up questions. And it's the follow up questions that was double clicking. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos, was that helpful? Yeah, that's helpful. And thinking that a lot of people do that connection and they want to then present on events, present on webinars that could be from the company, understanding the best way that the audience will receive it, that's actually very helpful to them prepare correctly for those events. So my friends, there you have it. Make sure that you take your time to understand your learning style when you prepare. How do you prepare? Sometimes you need to work on your delivery, not so much on the deck because people are there to listen to you, not to the deck. My friends, make sure you share, you subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.